Well, I uh, grew up in the 1980s. I grew up in the South, and I grew up going to a Southern Baptist church every single Sunday. Uh, now, I have fond memories of um, going to church, but this was also a time when conservative Christians, like those in my church, believed that the culture around them was becoming hostile to their faith. This was the beginning of what has been called uh, the culture wars. And one of the issues that I heard a lot about during this time was the issue of creation versus evolution. Now, what I learned at church is that when you read the book of Genesis, it's actually really, really clear. God created the world in six days. He spoke and things came into being. They weren't there before and then they were there. That There was this man named Adam and a woman named Eve and they were the first human beings made from scratch. And that all of us came from them. And then, in fact, if you add up the numbers and you add up the dates and the genealogies from the early parts of Genesis, then God created all of this and Adam and Eve about six or eight or 10,000 years ago. That that's what the Bible teaches us. But in science class, I learned something very different. Scientists tell us that the earth is billions of years old. The humans have been around for hundreds of thousands of years. That humans actually descended and evolved from other forms of life. And that this gradual evolutionary process is how we came to be. In other words, the Bible is wrong. Genesis is wrong. Now, for me as a kid, I was actually drawn to science. My dad was a doctor, so his whole background and, and knowledge and education came from a scientific worldview. And then when I got into high school, I loved physics. I just loved uh, uh, this idea that everything in the world could be reduced to these laws and these, um, these, these mathematical equations, and it could explain everything. And, and so I believed in science, but I also believed in God. And even though I was young and my faith was young and immature at times, it was still real. And Jesus was an important part of my life. When it came to things like creation and evolution, it felt like I had to choose between science and faith. In fact, I began to read a lot of Christian books at that time that attacked evolutionary science. They set out to show that all of the biology textbooks we were reading in school and all of the universities and all of the mainstream scientists were wrong, that the, the fossil evidence was wrong and the geological evidence was wrong, and, and that the theory of evolution, it was just that. It was a theory, and it was easily proven wrong. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there were some scientists saying the same thing about religion. Richard Dawkins, one of the most well-known evolutionary biologists in the world, eventually said that belief in God was just a delusion. That Genesis was flat out wrong, that religion was actually bad for the entire world, and hopefully one day humans would evolve beyond the need for it. Now, in recent years, other issues have taken center stage in the culture wars. But what we still often hear particularly from the extremes, is that these two things, science and faith, are at odds with one another. That science is is reasonable, 
and rational. Faith is often unreasonable and irrational. Science is proven. Faith is full of doubt. Science is when you use your mind. Faith, you kind of have to check your mind at the door. Science offers the best explanation for how things happen and what happens in our world. Faith often makes no sense. And so uh, for the next few weeks, I want to ask a really simple question here. Are science and faith really at odds with one another? Now, I think this is an extremely important question if you're in middle school or high school or college because you are taking science classes. You're looking through telescopes and microscopes. You're in chemistry or biology or, or physics, and maybe you don't like any of it, but you are still learning what scientists are telling you that they've learned about how our world works. And what you need to know is, is that at odds with my faith and with what I believe or with what the Bible teaches. This is an important question if you're in any kind of scientific profession, if you're in the medical field or the health field or, or any sort of engineering at all. Science forms the basis of everything you do. So is it at odds with your faith or with your beliefs? In fact, I think this is an important question even if you don't think it's important to you. Because most of us have thought about this at some point or another, particularly if you grew up going to church like I did. Maybe it was when you first realized that the beginning of Genesis sounds a little more like a fairy tale than a true story. And you really didn't know what to do with that, and so you just decided to ignore it. But the problem is you didn't really ignore it. It either undermined your faith in science, or more likely it undermined your faith in the Bible. But, but as long as you just kept those two things separate, you don't really have to deal with the tension or the conflict. But I think that's even more dangerous. It's like relegating faith to this little box that we've compartmentalized in our life that it was never meant to be put in. And so today, I just want to talk about this question head on. Are science and faith really at odds with one another? And I want to just offer a few answers for you to think about today. And then actually we'll come back and for the next two weeks we're going to look specifically at the issue of Genesis and creation and evolution. Now that's not the only place where science and faith seem like they're at odds with one another, but it is by far the biggest and it's the one that receives the most attention. So I figure why not just tackle it head on. All right? So does that sound good? Everybody excited about that? Very good. So let me start today by giving you three reasons for why science and faith are not at odds, why they're not incompatible, or really I'd say three reasons for why science and faith are actually complementary. Number one, because scientists express and rely on faith all the time. Scientists express faith in their work Right? They can test and test and test a hypothesis, but they don't really know. Right? They can test the, this idea that this bridge will stand in hurricane conditions, or that this medicine will do what we think it will do when we put it in somebody's body, but there's always an element of faith. You can never fully test. Scientists can never be 100% certain until you actually build that bridge, 
And it faces those conditions until you actually put that medicine in someone's body. Scientists have to express some element of faith in their work and in their conclusions. Scientists express faith in science. It's possible that the pursuit of scientific knowledge and discovery is actually really bad for humanity. Just think about the atomic bomb and the destruction that the arms race has brought about because of scientific discovery. But every scientist who continues to practice the pursuit of science is by default expressing a faith in the ultimate benefit of science. Scientists express faith in the human mind. How do we know we're not living in a simulation right now? How do you know we're not in the matrix, right? This is not something that can be tested or proven. In fact, there are some scientists who now say there is a 50-50 chance that we are living in a simulation, that none of this is actually real. But to believe it's real requires faith. One more, this is big. Many scientists express and rely on religious faith. Some of the greatest scientists of the modern scientific era, the scientific revolution in the last 500 years were followers of Jesus. Francis Bacon, who didn't invent bacon, but he did invent the scientific method, was a follower of Jesus. Galileo, Kepler, Newton, the greatest astronomers and physicists. Volta, Ampere, Faraday, you probably recognize those words, pioneers of electromagnetism and electricity. Even today, Francis Collins, a physician and geneticist who led the Human Genome Project that mapped human DNA, was then director of the Institutes of National Health under three different presidents, and is now the science advisor to the president. He's an outspoken follower of Jesus. And these scientists don't see their faith as being in conflict with their pursuit of science. In fact, it's actually quite the opposite. Their faith is what propels their scientific pursuits. Because of their faith in God, a God who created a world that is ordered and intended for human flourishing, then it's through scientific discovery that we can understand our place in that world. See, scientists express and rely on faith all of the time. But there's a second reason why science and faith can really be complementary, and it's number two. Because people of faith trust and use science all the time. And I'm not talking about the scientists I just mentioned. I'm talking about you and me. Every time you go to the doctor, right, you're trusting in science. In your doctor's scientific education and training and knowledge, you're trusting that the treatment that is prescribed for you is scientifically well-grounded. Every time you fly on a plane, you are trusting that aerospace engineers have rightly worked out the equations of fluid mechanics, aerodynamics, propulsion, thrust, momentum, friction, air pressure, thermodynamics. You are trusting in all of that. Every time you use your phone, Every time you use your microwave, every time you eat food you did not grow yourself, every time you wear clothes that are synthetically produced, that wicking t-shirt you work out in, that fleece that keeps you warm in the winter, you are trusting in science. Every single one of us already uses and trusts in science alongside of our faith. Now, I realize there might be some on the 
on the far extreme who are science deniers. I'm guessing there aren't any in our community, so maybe it's not worth bringing up. But even the extreme science deniers are not denying science categorically. They're just denying what they would call mainstream science or uh, liberal science or whatever group of scientists that they don't agree with, which is totally fine, but they're not denying science. I don't know anyone who doesn't use electricity, who never takes medicine, who never drives a car, who never flies in a plane, who only wears clothes made from natural fibers. Uh, Maybe there are some people like that, and if you have made that kind of commitment into your life, well, then that is very impressive. But for 99.9% of us, we use and trust science every single day. Now, these first two reasons are really just observations. But let me give you a third reason for why science and faith are complementary, how they are complementary, and how they sometimes give different answers to the same question. And that's because, number three, both science and faith teach us truth, but in different ways. I want to read you some words from a psalm this morning. This was written thousands of years ago. It's from Psalm 19, and it says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. So as best as we can tell, probably David wrote this. Remember, David was a shepherd He spent lots of nights out under the stars. And as he gazed up at the sky and he watched the constellations move across the sky and he watched their beauty, he concluded that it was all communicating something to us. It was showing us how creative God is, how amazing this world is, maybe how small and insignificant we are at times, maybe how regular and ordered this world is, because there's certain constellations he probably noticed moved across the sky in the same way, in the same seasons, every single year. And so David came to the same conclusions that Galileo, And Kepler and Edwin Hubble would later come to that the heavens and the stars are speaking to us. They're teaching us truth about God and about our world. David goes on and he says this, They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. In other words, I'm speaking kind of metaphorically right now. He's saying they're not literally talking to us. This is all poetry, right? But he says, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. He goes on. He says, in the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and it makes a circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. David is saying every single day, after the night, after the darkness, and after the stars, the sun bursts over the horizon like a a runner out of the starting gate. And every single day, the sun moves across the sky, providing the warmth and the life and the sustenance and the light that every living thing 
needs. It's a beautiful meditation on nature, on creation, on the sun and the stars and the heavens. But then look at what David says in the very next verse. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. See, this feels like a, a really hard right turn. This has nothing to do with creation or the sun or the stars or nature or beauty. David's now talking about the laws and the teachings of the Bible. He goes on, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So before, remember, it was the sun that was radiant. The sun was brilliant. The sun is what gave warmth and light to the whole world every single day. But now it's God's laws and his commands and his statutes and his precepts. Those are radiant. God's word is what gives us light. He goes on, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Now this feels like two totally different psalms. Right? The first half is all about nature. The second half is all about scripture. But God is, or David is doing something really significant here. He's saying something really significant and speaks to this issue, this question about science and faith. David is trying to say, we can learn about God and we can learn about this world and we can learn about how to live in this world from two totally different sources. Uh, the theologian Augustine, hundreds of years later, would actually say it this way. He would say, it's like we've been given two books of knowledge. The first is the book of nature. And by observing and exploring and investigating and studying nature, we can learn truth. We can learn how the world works. We can learn about electrons and gravity and photosynthesis and tectonic plates and chemical reactions, and entropy, and sound waves, and supernovas. We can gain knowledge, and then we can use that knowledge, not just to wonder at the majesty of the world, but to actually live and flourish as human beings. This all comes from the book of nature. But God gave us a second book, the book of Scripture, David begins with the book of nature, but then he praises the book of Scripture. Because Scripture gives us a different kind of truth, a different kind of knowledge. It illuminates the world of truth and knowledge in different ways. It's in Scripture that we learn about forgiveness and empathy, love, justice, mercy, compassion, human dignity, Meaning and purpose. See, over here, we can learn that God is creative and he is ordered. But from Scripture, we learn that God is loving and he's personal. Scripture teaches us a different kind of truth. 
And so science and faith are, are actually complementary because both science and faith teach us truth. They just teach it to us in very different ways. Sometimes they offer different perspectives. Sometimes they're coming from different angles. In fact, sometimes they're answering different questions. Sometimes they're answering the same question, but in different ways. Most of the time, science answers how questions. How or by what manner do things come about or do things happen? Faith is more concerned with why questions. Is there meaning or purpose behind what is happening? And both are important. Here's an example. Why is the water boiling on the stove? One answer. The reason the water is boiling on the stove is because the gas is on and heat is being transferred to the H2O, which is raising its temperature and converting a liquid into a gas. Another answer. The water is boiling on the stove because I'm making a cup of tea. You see, both are truthful. Both are helpful answers. And you don't have to choose between the two. One is more concerned with how this phenomenon is happening. The other is more concerned with why. And we need both answers. We need both science and faith. And God has given us both. He gave us minds and this amazing ability to study nature, to learn things and discover things and then put them all together about our physical world. And do you remember what Jesus says? We should love the Lord our God with all of our minds. But God also gave us the treasure of Scripture. And David says that there's something about it that's even better than gold. It's even sweeter than honey. At times, it's more brilliant and more radiant and more illuminating than the sun itself. Now, next week, we're going to dig into more how these two things complement each other and what we should do when it seems like they're contradicting, contradicting one another. But today, can we just celebrate that God has given us the ability to know him better? through both nature and his word, to know ourselves better, to know this world better, and to know our place in the larger story. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are thankful for all of the things that we have learned in the past few hundred years from the explorations of science. We're thankful that you gave us a witness to how amazing and beautiful you are in the skies. We're also thankful that you came to live among us and be with us, to show us what true humanity looks like, to show us what the heart of our Heavenly Father is like, to offer forgiveness and love, to give us the grace we so desperately need, to give us the hope we so desperately need. We thank you for your son Jesus, 
who is Emmanuel, God with us, who we just celebrated a few weeks ago. And we thank you for the way that you teach and show us who you are. We pray this in your name.